0: What you do doing training doesn't doesn't really matter um, if you're not racing well. So once I did kind of take that step forward, I kind of, yeah, felt like the, the previous hardship I'd gone through had definitely been worth it. And I kind of felt like I was at the stage where possibly I could start trying to make teams. I could kind of maybe sneak into a diamond league race or something like that as well. This podcast is brought to you by Trivelo
1: Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you Train smarter to race faster. I'm your host, Jordan Donnelly, and on my left is former Australian Ironman champion and head coach of Traveler Coaching, Jared Donnelly. In today's episode, we are joined by a guest that we have been very excited to talk to for a long time. You will have heard his name on the podcast many times, especially in 2020 and 2021 when he really started dominating on the world athletic circuit, and that is none other than the man the 1,500-meter superstar from Australia himself, Stuart McSwain. And Stewie, he's got some incredible results to his name so far, and he's rise to the very top of 1,500-meter. The 1,500-meter event at World Athletics has been uh, notorious among the athletics community in Australia. He he started really progressing in 2017, 2018, and then he had some unbelievably consistent seasons in 2020 and 2021 leading up to the Tokyo Olympic Games. And that included multiple Diamond League wins. Uh, Basically, he had a string of uh, a dozen, maybe more, maybe seven to 10 races at Diamond League, where the worst position he came was third or fourth behind world champion Jakob Ingebrigtsen, um, Timothy Chariot, and many other superstars around the world. Uh, He currently boasts the Australian record in the 1,500 meters with a blistering time of 3.29, also in the 3,000 meters at 7.28, a 5K PB of 12.56, a 10K PB of 27-23 Twenty-seven, twenty-three, and he, he came 7th at the Tokyo Olympics, which is a discussion point of today's podcast where after coming 3rd or 4th at every single Diamond League event and being ranked actually 3rd in the 1500 metres in the world going into the Olympic Games, 7th was a little bit of a disappointing result for him, even though as we say in the episode, uh, you can never balk at coming 7th at the Olympic Games, the pinnacle event of athletics every 4 years. So we dive right into that in this, in this discussion. We get to ask him all the questions we've been wondering over the last few years how did he? How did his success come about? What did he do in training? What uh, resulted in uh, this rise for him, where he really broke through in 2017, 2018, and then had a few good years and really has has risen to the top uh, in 1500 meter performances? And he does answer all our questions, and we're very excited to to really hammer him, Dad, with with training and racing questions. And uh, he some of the answers surprised us, and some of us some of them did not at all because it's exactly what you would expect from a champion.
2: Yeah, it was uh, one of my favourite uh, podcasts that we've done in a long time, and I say that about every podcast. But this yeah. was, this was really great. And look, it's it's unusual. And we haven't had such a a really good, classy athlete um, since Botram probably uh, on the track. Um, there's plenty of really good runners around, don't. Don't make many mistakes about that, um, but but Stu has certainly uh, climbed the ladder, and he's he, on any given day he's as good as anybody in the world, you know. And as everybody knows who listens to this podcast, our favourite man Jakob um and Stewie, you know, he gets mentioned by Jakob as someone who's a a, a challenge to him and a talent and. And somebody has to watch and and you've got to admire the way he he races. He is an out-and-out out racer and, and I love his relaxed attitude about everything, about training, about the way he runs to feel. Um, and, you know, when he gets on the start line, he's clear about what he's going to do. He's going to give it 110% and he says that so many times. Um, no matter what form I'm in, I'm just going to have a crack and if I get the result I want, I'm, I'm wrapped. And if I don't get the result, I know that I've had a crack. Um, and I'm not going to leave anything uh, out on the table. So I just love his attitude, and it's no wonder he's been so, so successful. We had lots of uh, information coming back from um, fellow uh Guys, you know, who train with him, who say that he's one of the best workers going around. And look, that's an easy thing to say about anybody who trains hard. But he's exceptionally dedicated to getting his training, um, and you know, on point and where he needs to be, and 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 making sure that he's ready for uh, the next event. And um, and that's something that you know he's really proud of. I think, and and he loves racing for Australia. And the World Cross Country uh, titles um, are on in in. Um, Bathurst in, uh, I think it's February the 18th, and he, he's got a team uh, um, put together, a two-man, two-women team, um, and really excited to see how that goes. That's um, some of the, you know, the best... Uh, Four athletes that we have at the moment um, are all going to be racing in that 2K event, which is a little bit different dif- distance, but that shows you how, uh, the versatility that Stu has. He's a, a really good 800 meter runner. I know you st- said some really good statistics there, but it's almost easy to gloss over them. His PB is 329 for 1500 meters. You know, there aren't many people who've run under 330 in the history of track and field. Um, he's run a, a, a sub 13 5 k. You know there aren't many people who've done that. He's won the Zatapak Pack um, in here in Melbourne back to back um, with twenty seven low twenty sevens um, as a ten k runner. Um, so, so he really has a score on the board, and and he he is a performer, and that's that's I, I just love talking to people who, who are really confident and trust the process, and uh, he he exudes all of those principles, and it was a great conversation. I wish I knew the stat off the top of my head, but I believe that his PB of
1: 3K at 7.28.02 is something like, it might be top 10 or might be top 15, fastest times ever recorded, which is just an astounding PB to have. So, that just shows the caliber of athlete he is. So, a lot to learn in this episode. Uh, we absolutely love this interview. We can't wait for you to hear it. So, without further ado, here is the episode with Stu McSwain. Stewie very big welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for jumping on. The first question we like to ask our guests is what session did you do today?
0: Nah, thanks for having me on, guys. Excited to be on. Um today's a Wednesday, so it's kind of a recovery day. So I just have a 70-minute run in the morning. So maybe fifteen, sixteen K, pretty comfy, maybe four, four four twenty, four thirty kilometer pace. Um and then I'll just run another seven or eight K in the evening. So um, it's kind of an off day between between session days, Tuesday and Thursday, so nothing too crazy
2: today. And you're, you're in Melbourne and uh, training in and around the, the suburbs of Melbourne?
0: Yeah, so I'm actually based in St Kilda, so right near Abbott Park, so not a bad spot for training. So I'll pretty much, yeah, do, while I'm in Australia, I'll spend yeah five or six months here training. Um, love training in Melbourne. I don't think there's many better places in the world to run. So, um, yeah, enjoying it, especially with a bit better weather as well.
1: I have to say, I am in St Kilda and I have seen you running around a bit. Uh, so, I assumed you were local to this area. I've passed here I reckon, a few times around Albert Park. And when you're doing these easy runs, are you tracking your pace? Are you going purely by feel? Are you looking at your watch or your heart rate?
0: Um, yeah, pretty much by feel. Um, I'm not a big data guy. Um, like, I pretty much run on time. I don't even – I use a stopwatch rather than a GPS watch. So, um, yeah, I'm 100% on feel. I'll just run. If I'm tired, I'll run slow. If I'm feeling good, I might push a little bit quicker. Um but yeah, I'm not really a data guy. So kind of tr- keep it nice and simple. I kind of have my, my laps as well. So I'll have a like Marva run. I know 7 and 8K, I won't even wear a watch. I kind of just have a course for that. Um, and then other days I kind of have set courses as well that I'll run, whether it takes me 60 minutes, 70 minutes. Um, and it is what it is. I'll just kind of run the course depending how I feel in the day.
1: I have heard you're a stopwatch guy. Are you? Does it does the data get uploaded anywhere? Are you, are you carrying your phone with you? Is it going to Strava or something where you're looking at it after or are you just happy to run to time?
0: Nah, absolutely goes nowhere. Just, I don't even really record sessions. I kind of prefer, I think after you've done it for a few years, you kind of get pretty good at judging what your fitness level um, is. Um, and I kind of prefer not knowing. Like, I think you can get pretty good at comparing sessions and you're always trying to beat them. You're trying to run quicker than what you did last week. But as us athletes know, um, training indicators don't always indicate. Racing performance, so um, I prefer, yeah, kind of just basing on feel um, and not overthinking it too much. Kind of just keeping it nice and easy, and kind of yeah, just trying to tick it off rather than focusing on trying to beat it every run or every session or trying to go quicker or whatever as well.
2: Yeah, that's uh, that's such a, a refreshing uh, point of view, isn't it? And we're really drumming into our athletes uh, who are all listening out there with uh, great interest uh, what the elite people do, and we're we're kind of pushing our guys to keep to keep a real tab or tally on where they're at in any given period but you do it in a different way don't you you you're you know how you're feeling according to what your times are on certain routes and and how how long it takes you compared to what it normally does and and generally how you how you're feeling and coping with the day-to-day sessions
0: yeah exactly i think i'm um, definitely kind of you probably describe me as a feel based athlete um i feel like i've been yeah doing it long enough that i kind of have a good judge of how i'm feeling how hard i'm going um and as you mentioned you you obviously have indicators in training you you kind of know what shape you're in um but yeah i kind of prefer just having have not having times i'm trying to hit each each session really because i think yeah depending on weather there's so many outcomes that can affect sessions if you're trying to beat it every time it's not going to be easy so um, yeah trying to keep it simple, trying to put those consistent training weeks together is more important for me um, and then I know if I can yeah put those weeks together i 'm going to be in good shape at the end of the training block
1: it 's a big thing that 's kind of a lot of people, especially your coach Nick Bodo, has said about your you know real good uh, period over the last five years and how you 've really excelled to the top of the world stage and it 's just based on that consistency he's whenever people ask him you know how you got to this level he' just always says consistent training put together over a long period you Until last year, probably had very minimal interruptions. When you look at the way you train and as a field-based athlete, like you just said, compared to guys you're lining up against on the start line at every single Diamond League or World Champ race like Ingebrigtsen, you know, he's the very opposite approach. He's very non-field-based and very science-based, very technical, very lactate-based. Yet you end up at the start line, at the finish line, you know, under a second apart from each other. Uh, what do you think about that when you, when you look at the you compare yourself? Do you think you might like to go down that path at all? Do you ever think it's just um, just two different ways you go about it? What's, what's your experience there?
0: Yeah, I think it shows us obviously different ways to do. Um, there's no direct route um, for him. He's been science based his whole life. Everything's lactate is kind of personalized training for him. Um, I'll probably similarly done the same, but just not as scientific. I don't really record it as much, but I kind of understand what works for me, what type of training I need to do, what training I can't really touch on because my body can't handle it or I feel like I can't maintain for that full training block. So, um, yeah, I think over years of experience, he's kind of personalized his training a little bit more. Um, I feel like I've kind of done the same as well. So I think with my training, the only good thing is when you're probably not going quite as good, you still – have that kind of belief that you you're maybe not going as bad as you think and I think that's kind of nice going into every race unsure how fit you are um, knowing that maybe there is a big result coming up so um, yeah I think it's kind of kind of good that you don't have those limitations and you kind of know your level of fitness in training because um, then when you get to race day you kind of don't have a limit on what you could do even if um, your
2: training's not going probably as as well as you were hoping going in. Just on that, that's a really good point, you've raised, and I was about to ask you the similar question when you you brought that up. If you're going through a bit of a form slump or you don't feel like you're quite racing as well as you should be, are you then questioning, should I change something or should I just stick with my program and trust the process?
0: Yeah, I think um, you do have to be adaptable um, if things aren't working, you're kind of looking for reasons, what's going wrong or whatever, but um, what's worked for you in the past generally for me, I've found if I keep generally the same formula, um, it generally I'll hopefully keep getting similar results to what I have in the past but as you mentioned the the world of the world of sports are ever ever evolving um place so you've got to keep getting better you've got to try and improve so um I've got structures in that I know that will work but I'm still looking to find the yeah the 5% increase in performance whether that's through adapting training um whether that's through the maybe implementing some of the scientific stuff. Um, obviously, I have a sports like a sports team around me, whether that's nutritionists. Um, we've got a sports physiologist at the VIS that I'll use as well. So little things like that, I'm still trying to improve, adapt. Um, but yeah, I'll generally year to year can try and keep the same structures that have held me into, into relatively good stead um, up until this point. The World Cross
1: Champs are in 10 days or 9 days or 10 days. Um, that's pretty exciting. There's a fair bit of buzz around the Aussie team, specifically your team, the Mixed Relay 4x2K. Uh, what's your training block been up until this point? Have you, have you changed anything specific to
0: preparing for 2 kilometres of cross-country? Um, I think it's very normal. I think we've we've been generally we're, we're working pretty hard in training. So um, hopefully we'll be in good shape for cross country. Um, we've kind of included a few more hills and stuff after seeing the course a couple of weeks ago, um, the world cross country course is going to be tough. Um, there's a fair few hills, undulating, uneven surfaces. So we've we'll probably tried to incorporate that um, into training more, especially on our Saturday hill session. We've been doing kind of more Maybe a few more steeper, a few more undulating hills to try and um, make sure we're ready for the race. Um, But other than that, it's just, yeah, trying to put the weeks together and making sure um, in a week's time we're 100% ready to go and hopefully we can, yeah, put in a great performance.
2: What does your uh, week leading into that 2K flat out effort um, look like? Is it a little bit changed from the normal structure of maybe the last eight weeks?
0: I think it will be. I think we'll have a decent taper. Obviously, anytime you're at a world champs level, um, you got to be ready to go. So, um, probably early in the week, um, we'll still have a pretty solid session probably on the Tuesday. And then after that, it'll be tapering off nice to make sure we're fresh um, physically, but also mentally, I feel like for a competition like that, you kind of want to feel like you're ready to go. You've got to bounce in your step and you're just ready to give 110% on the day. Um, So yeah, we'll train a lot easier in the second half of the week and make sure we're ready to go by the time um, Bathurst comes around.
2: Does that uh, team environment give you a little bit more um, motivation to sort of, um, you know, you're very driven as an individual, but now you're in a group of uh, three other team members and, you know, that team aspect, you've grown up, uh, you know, in, here in Victoria, probably playing a lot of cricket and tennis and footy. That team aspect was completely different to individualism in, in athletics. So does this team environment give you some extra buzz?
0: Yeah, I think it does. Um, obviously, firstly, when the Aussie Goons, it gives you a huge budget buzz anyway for us it's the, the greatest privilege we have in the sport so um you probably don't need any more motivation than we're in the national guernsey but i think being in a team environment you kind of feel like you're not only out there doing it for you you're doing it for the, the other three members in our team as well so um yeah i'll be making sure i'm ready to go um i'm ready to put in a big performance because i know the other three will be doing the same so hopefully if we can all bring that high performance bring the um bring the yeah bring what we hopefully can do on the day um, we're going to be hopefully in a good spot to be right in the mix
2: have you got tactics uh, that you've worked out with who's running um, what legs? Um, who's doing first and second?
0: Yeah, I think most teams will generally be the same. I think the the f- first and last legs a little bit longer because they have an en- like an entry and exit shoot um, from the 2K. Yeah. So I think it's about 150 meters longer. So I assume that most teams will have men on the longer legs and um, have women in the, the two middle legs. So. Um, I'm not sure that, that that's a hidden secret between any of the teams, but I assume most of them will be pretty much the same. It is a
1: stacked team for those that don't know. It's you yourself, it's Com Games Gold Medalist Ollie Hoare, it's Com Games bronze medalist Abby Caldwell, and then Jess Hull, who has just been dominating the 1500 meter scene on the world stage as well so it's very very exciting uh do you have much contact with with those athletes you're all quite spread out around the world um or do you guys just meet up in race week and and um chat then how's that work
0: yeah i think we'll meet up but obviously we've been on the circuit together for a lot of years we know each other really well we spoke at the end of last year um and kind of were like we should have a crack at this i reckon if we can get our best team on the park we can be right in the mix because obviously it's hard to win world-level world, world level medals. Um, Australia hasn't won too many World Cross over the years, so um, we thought if we're going to have a chance to do it, we want everyone there and we want everyone peaking for it as well. So um, I think, yeah, we're all hopefully going to be ready. Um, all four of us are, are running pretty well at the moment, so fingers crossed we can stay healthy the next week and a half and be ready to go in a week's, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, nine days' time. So exciting. It's on home soil.
1: Um, it's a really great chance for a medal, which is what everyone's buzzing about. Um, it's great to hear that you guys are really peaking for this, we uh, We can't wait to see how you go. We want to um, move into talking about Tokyo 2021. That was a really exciting period for Australian athletics in general. I think um, Australian athletics is just improving so much over the last three, four, five years. We're having so many runners dominate on the world stage uh, and it's so exciting for us. We've actually spoken about you a lot on this podcast. Um, that Diamond League season where you were dominating and you ran the um, 1,500 and 3,000 national record was just so exciting to see. Um, coming into Tokyo, you had an unbelievable Diamond League season. You were just performing so well, so consistently. Um, how did you find your experience at Tokyo? Uh, overall, um, coming off that excellent Diamond League season, what was what was your recap of the of the final?
0: Yeah. As you mentioned, for us, Olympics, without a doubt, um, is the biggest year for us. Obviously, one once every four years. So, for us, it's the the pinnacle of what, what we get to do. And I think it's, a, as any kid, you dream of maybe one day going to Olympics, whether it's in any sport. Or for me, it was athletics. So, it was a, obviously a huge honor. Um, I think my preparation had gone amazingly well that season I was running. I came off that COVID year in 2020, was running well, and then felt like I was racing uh, pretty strongly, especially in Europe in that 2021 season. So, um, yeah, I felt like I came into Olympics in a good position. Um, I was confident if I kind of, yeah, got, got it right, I could be right in the mix, whether that was – firstly, you got to get through the rounds. So in the 1500, we've got a first round, a semi and a final. So the big goal was making sure I got in that final, um, and then after that, it was kind of putting myself in the mix to try and um, – Obviously, you're going into any race trying to win, but to, to be in the mix would have been nice and trying to be in that top three was always, always the goal as well. So, unfortunately, I wasn't able to get that done on the day. Um, I kind of, yeah, ran out of legs that last 400 in the final, but um, yeah, I was in the right position. I felt like I executed a good race other than I got a little bit tired late, um, but I feel like in Olympic final, you want to go in and give yourself any chance to try and if not win, be right in the mix, um, and I did. I did that, so I kind of walked off the track knowing that, although I didn't finish top three, I was kind of knew that I left it all out there and gave myself the best chance on the day to try and do something pretty special. So, um, yeah, as I mentioned, that's that's all I could do. So I kind of walked away from the Olympics pretty pretty satisfied. But if I want to do better in Paris, I've got to keep improving, um, and yeah, get better from that experience.
1: You came 7th in 3.31, which just shows the speed. And um, I can't remember what Jakob did. Was it 3.29? But um, look, 7th is an outstanding result at the Olympics and there's no way we want to use the word disappointed when you get that. But it is interesting to hear that, you know, um, for yourself, you probably were a little bit disappointed because you know that you can mix it in and definitely be in that top three and you give yourself every chance to win. So I guess I want to know from that final, what lessons do you take away to try and improve for Paris?
0: Yeah, as you mentioned, I think that season I finished ranked, I think on the rankings I was third. So um, it would have been nice to be top three at the Olympics. I feel like with the rest of the season, I um, the lowest I finished in a 1500 was four. So um, to finish seventh at the Olympics, obviously, um, wasn't what I was aiming for. But yeah, as you mentioned, championship racing is different. There's a lot of a lot of factors go into it. But um, yeah, I think for me, I've got to get better at the rounds. I think especially the Olympics, there's just so much hype. You have so many expectations, so many people reaching out. I think it's the, the one meet for us every four years where the media cares a lot about. So um, yeah, it's just a different experience. And I've probably got to be, get better at kind of blocking out that external factors um, and also getting better again through the rounds. I think at the Olympics, the semifinals are hard. Um, they, the heat, um, even the heat's hard. There's no easy rounds. Everyone at the Olympics is a good athlete. So I've got to get better at getting through that heat and semi comfy um, and making sure when I do get to the final, hopefully I can't, can run quicker than 331 and maybe I can get in my PB um, on the final day and that should put me right in the mix. So that's what I'm working on for Paris um, and then, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll find out in the next 18 months how, how that improvement curve goes. On
2: that uh, exact topic, um, the, the three races that you have to do in such a short time span, is that something that you think impacted on you and you weren't you weren't ready for that third race? I don't mean not ready. I mean did it take too much out of you and can you do something about that knowing that you're going to have three, pretty much 3.30 something, 3.31, 3.32, 3.33 in a row, three three times in one week. Do you, do you think there's something you can do there that will enable you not to run out of legs uh, on that, that third time lining up to run basically, you know, the fastest you could ever run in, in your career?
0: Yeah, I think it's, uh, it comes down to uh, like the recovery practices. Um, it's not often we have to do three races in four days. so. Um, it's just focus on those recovery. I think at the Olympics, it's kind of so much is going on. It's easy to get distracted, especially through rounds. You've got like you've got drug testing on off days. You've got um, media commitments you got to do. So it's kind of probably avoiding doing as much stuff as you you can avoid doing, and making sure you just focus on that recovery. Whether that's making sure you're eating right, the ice baths on off days, or whatever, to try and make sure by the time you've had those two rounds, once you're in the final, you're feeling like you're showing up your body's 100% and you're ready to absolute roll. So I think for me that's going to be the big focus kind of, yeah, blocking out that external stuff that obviously you have to do some drug testing or whatever. There's no no way around it you're doing, but just the other stuff you can kind of probably um, block it out, not not spend uh, um, as much energy on other stuff between those rounds. And hopefully that means you'll be more rested and energized for hopefully if I can get through the final in Paris, um, I'll be in a better position to hopefully give it a, give it a good crack.
2: Anything in your training that you would do differently to to prepare you for those three runs in, in the four days? Is there something you would practice maybe six weeks out to have back-to-back-to-back kind of races to get your body used to that that feel? Yeah,
0: I think there's definitely something in it. Um, kind of leading in, I, I did have a lot of races. Um, I had three in a week, so... I kind of did have that practice um, jumping around um, and was able to run pretty well. So I think it it does come down to training. We're kind of looking at being able to do hard efforts back to back days because in most of our cycle, you kind of base it on, you have a hard session, you have an easy day recovery, hard session, but in the champs, you're obviously the heat and semi are back to back days. So you've got to get used to that ability to recover quickly um, and make sure, make sure you're ready to go the next day. So for me, it's making sure I'm, I'm physically ready to hopefully be able to get through the heat okay um, and then the semi and feel like I can have that off day and then, yeah, come back the third time and be able to deliver, um, yeah, hopefully near my best.
1: We heard you say that, yeah, everything you were talking about just then with the media, drug testing, everything that is involved in the Olympics, um, you did struggle a little bit with the village. Um, How could you try and change that? Is that true that you were a bit, I don't know, maybe overwhelmed with everything going on in the village? Were you just kind of a bit too uh, stimulated with the whole Olympic experience. Um, talk us through that that village experience and, and maybe what you do differently there.
0: Yeah, I think a bit of any other champs, the, the Olympics is definitely the hardest. Um, obviously, COVID made it harder for us because we we're kind of... Normally, I was one of the later events, so I wouldn't come to the village that early. Um, and obviously, we had to go to pre-camp in Japan. So you're spending a week in a pre-camp where you're kind of just in your hotel room if you're not training. Um, obviously, you couldn't risk going outside based on COVID protocols. Um, and then I spent, yeah, five or six days before my first round just sitting in the Olympics, waiting. You're kind of riding the highs of the rest of the team. Um, not only in athletics, you've got swimming in the first week. So you're riding the highs of people winning golds or whatever. And then you're also feeling the lows when people have disappointing performance because you're obviously in the team area. You, you're kind of riding their stories as well. So I think that's a little bit hard to have that emotional up and down um, before even before you've even stepped on the start line for your first round. So um, hopefully we don't have that COVID issue again, and we're kind of – I'd prefer if I'm not getting to the village quite as early. Um, it's probably nicer watching it externally rather than being, yeah, in the, the emotional roller coaster that is everyone's Olympic journey um, and you're kind of there and, um, yeah, kind of riding their waves as well, which um, probably ties you a little bit for when you actually start. So I think that hopefully will be a big change um, for future championships.
2: I definitely think uh, anybody who does anything for the second time has such a great uh, experience from the first event and they do things so much better the next time. So I'm really excited. Next time you'll you'll have learned so much from that first experience and you'll be a better athlete for it, no, there's no doubt. And you'll have learned so many things about what worked and what didn't and you've already explained that you know, you're know you going to do things slightly differently. So, um, so Lid, believe me, people who do things for the second time generally do a better job at it, um, second round at it. So. The next question I'm kind of keen on asking is: What do you think is your greatest strength as a runner that that's enabled you to get to this point um, at this high level? And let's face it, you are, you know, ranked as you just said, you know, in the top three in the world uh, at this 1500 meter event. What do you think is your greatest strength that's allowed you to to rise from a, a boy from uh, King Island and um, who's now making it, you know, on the world scene as a, as a as a top 1500 meter runner?
0: I think the biggest thing for me, um, obviously a lot of, a lot of physical and stuff come into it. But for me, I feel like I've grown up pretty resilient guy. Um, I feel like I'm pretty good at riding the ups and downs of the sport. Um, obviously in any athletics career, you're going to have a lot of, a lot of ups, but you're going to have a lot of downs as well. Um, whether that's missing teams, underperforming, having off years, having bad races. But I feel like for me, I kind of, um always feel like i can get through it um and i kind of stay pretty positive from that sense so i feel like i'm pretty good at writing the negatives and trying to turn them into positives and trying to whether i've yeah had a defeat i've underperformed i'm trying to use it to find find things i can get better at and kind of make sure it doesn't happen again so i think resiliency is probably one of my what i think is one of my greatest strengths um and yeah i think that kind of has helped me over the years kind of ride the waves that any any athlete faces
1: i was speaking to one of your teammates at uh melbourne track club at your training group and he was explaining that there seemed to be a bit of a lag period of almost a couple of years between how well you were training and translating that into race results so was that a bit of a frustrating period for you and is that an example of what you're talking about
0: here with being able to push through some potentially hard times uh i don't think that was really the hard, hard, hard sense of the hard time i think it was more that you kind of it's weird in i feel like in performance you kind of got to get to a level in training Um, and be able to do a certain amount of training and kind of recover from that training before you're able to execute it at the highest level, which for us is a race. So, um, yeah, I I think I struggled initially probably handling the training load. Obviously, you're trying to work out what works for you, what doesn't. Um, I came from a junior who wasn't really training too hard to then when I was 21, 22, jumping into open ranks and joining Melbourne Track Club, which is a professional group, and trying to, yeah, train a fair bit harder. So it probably takes takes a little bit to kind of yeah get used to the training loads and yeah all the things that um, are involved with it as well. Um, at that point, I wasn't a, a full-time athlete as well. I was kind of working jobs as well. So you kinda, your recovery is probably not as good. So you're probably not recovering from training as much or whatever. So there's a lot of factors into it. But I think those that probably year when I was training really well, but not racing quite as well, probably kind of did drive me to keep pushing through. Um, and then once I kind of saw those results in races, I kind of, yeah, worked out what worked for me and I kind of, yeah, was able to use that from that point to hopefully keep improving from, from that point on.
2: Did you find that uh, being with the group uh, training mentality with such a, an elite group of eight to 10 runners around you, did that help you? Or did, is that something you felt was a real contributing positive um, aspect of your training and preparation for races?
0: I definitely think so. Um, I think you always want to be in a situation where you're getting pushed. Um, for me, when I joined, I was probably the 10th best guy. So you kind of, yeah, you see see the standard you need to get to. Um, it's kind of nice. Although no one likes getting their ass handed to them, um, in training sessions, we kind of you want to avoid that if you can. Um, it's pretty eye opening and kind of motivates you to get to that next level because you don't really enjoy it too much. So for me, kind of jumping in the deep end with the group, um, I think definitely helped me um, and kind of yeah, I think every season you realize how 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 good everyone's going, how good the the rest of the world is going. So you kind of need to have that that ability to not just settle where you are, trying to get better each time. And I think with a group, it definitely helps that that you're all trying to get better each season because um, if you don't. You're gonna get left behind, so you got to kind of yeah keep keep working to improve, and keep keep working as hard as you did the previous year. I think, as you as you mentioned, for us generally you're only as good as your last race, so there's no use sitting on your laurels. You got to keep trying to get better and trying to improve on. what you've done previously.
1: I'm super fascinated by that period though um, because in hindsight, you can easily see that, yeah, you just need consistency. You needed your body to adapt, as you said, to the training load. But at the time, you wouldn't have known exactly what was happening and um, you're obviously just trying to improve. But what were you telling yourself, you know, when your race times weren't quite there, um, you're in that period for a couple of years. um, Are you just getting through it? Are you thinking... Are you Questioning yourself as a professional athlete and how much time you're dedicating to it, or were you just someone that was happy to keep pushing and you had confidence it would come? What was it for you?
0: Yeah, I think when things aren't going well, you're obviously any any athlete they're they're probably lying if they're not saying you're questioning things. You're kind of. Unsure if it's worth the the effort. I think a lot of athletes will go through it where you have those tough periods and you kind of, yeah, is it worth doing? What am I doing wrong? What can I do? What yeah, what's what's happening that I should be doing better? But um, yeah, I think it was just that positive outlook that I knew it was gonna come. Um, it's whether it was in the next race, three races down the track, I kinda believed that it would come and you kinda, yeah, just gotta gotta hold it together, gotta stay strong, kind of, yeah, back yourself in that that it will happen. Um, Yeah. And then once it did happen, it kind of, you feel like you've kind of reached that level and you feel like you can kind of progress from there. So you kind of just, yeah, got to sit tough um and hope for it to turn around.
1: How was that feeling when I think there was t- a couple of breakout performances around that 27, 28 period and you ran a thirteen twenty K I think at Diamond League. And then your, your PB for 15 jumped from 340 or 341 or maybe even 342 down to 334 quite drastically uh, when you had a couple of those, correct me if I'm wrong there, but when you had a couple of those races, uh, how did that feel and how much confidence did that give you?
0: Yeah, I think a lot. Obviously, um, this is a performance-based sport. Um, what you do in training doesn't doesn't really matter um, if you're not racing well. So once I did kind of take that step forward, I kind of yeah felt like the, the previous hardship I'd gone through had definitely been worth it and I kind of felt like I was at the stage where possibly I could start trying to make teams. I could kind of maybe sneak into a diamond league race or something like that as well. So um, yeah, obviously it was a huge confidence that I could be at the the level and could compete against some of the best guys in the world. So um, yeah, I think it kind of, kind of showed that the, the training did work. Um, I just kind of had to get on top of it in the end.
2: Trusting the process is uh, something that we really push out to our athletes and and making them understand that if they continue with the right work ethic and 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 work hard and be consistent and as you said resilience you will eventually succeed you will prevail and it could take 2 3 seasons before you start to see any improvement and that's something that it is hard for people to really get their heads around is far out I've been working so hard for 6 months here and yet I'm still feeling like I'm not you know getting anywhere is that something that that you've experienced in on your journey, and something that you could sort of tell the listener um, that you know, just trust the process.
0: Yeah, I think no matter what what level athlete you are, um, you kind of put in the work before you see any result. You probably performance plateaus while you. are t- you, you you are getting better. You're probably not seeing the results, but it's crazy. You can be plateauing, not seeing the results for for a fair bit of time if you if you can stay at it, um, keep keep going. It's crazy sometimes how quick you can jump. Like for for me, I was probably running thirteen forty consistently for that that year, um, and then all of a sudden I ran twenty odd seconds in one race, quicker, and kind of jumped me forward. And then I felt like every race from there, I was kind of running a PB or improving. Um, but there's no doubt those hard years of training where I probably didn't see the re- results for the level I was training at definitely got me to the level where that big breakthrough could happen. So I think you just got to, yeah, as you said, stay consistent, keep putting in the work. And, um, yeah, if, you, if you're willing really to work hard, hard enough, um, the results will come at some point. You just got to kind of, yeah, stick to it um, and back in that, that if you're doing a lot of the right things, um, in the end, you'll kind of get that, that just reward. I love that message so much.
1: It's just it just every athlete needs to hear that, whether you're a professional or whether you're just aiming for park run PBs or something that's just, it just is so true. So I hope everyone really does take that on board and your story is just perfect for that. And from from those years onwards, you just kept going on that up, upward trajectory. And I think that is a clear reward for the hard work you were doing. Um, we spoke about your strength as a runner and your strength and consistency in training and, and what the rewards you reap from that. Uh, can we talk about maybe any areas you've identified as a weakness in your running and is there anything you're currently working on specifically to try and improve?
0: Yeah, I think for me, uh, a big thing is a lot of the the off-track work. Um, obviously, I'm not great in the the gym um, and little things like that. So, I've kind of, especially over the last 18 months, I've definitely fo- put a bigger focus on making sure I'm doing the the little things, whether that's getting in the gym two or three times a week, making sure I'm getting the massage every week, making sure I've got that schedule in um, because yeah, as I mentioned after Tokyo, I'm looking to try and find that extra one or 2%. So for me, making sure I'm doing those little things, if they can get me at yeah, 0.5% better, I'm all for it. So um, yeah, just making sure I'm doing. It's not only for us. It's not the running. It's not always just the running training. It's the yeah, the recovery, doing the little things that keep you on the track, keep you healthy, and keep keep you with the ability to put the consistent weeks together. So they're they're the, probably the big thing that I'm trying to improve um, in kind of what what what's going on with my like kind of training week.
2: I'm I'm interested in the the mental side of your uh, thought processes for getting yourself up for races and and how you think about because um, it, it, everything you're doing is is going to be a, as a result of what happens on race day um, all the massage all the the strength work all the nutrition all the right sleep components and of course the training program but. But that's if that's all in place, and yet you still have anxiety about racing. And we have a lot of people we coach who, who just have this huge anxiety about putting a number on or standing with their foot on the line or jumping on the bike to race. How are you approaching that? From you know, are you embracing that? Is it something you've always had a fear of, or you you can't wait to race? What, what's your thought process about that? That mental side of race. Preparation.
0: Yeah, I think any race, um, if it means something to you, you, you're going to be a little bit nervous. I think, um, as you mentioned, when you're putting the work in practice, you kind of want to get the just reward from the from the race. So you, you do have an expectation, whether that's external, um, say for the Olympics or whatever, or your own expectation on a race, you kind of do have that little bit of pressure to perform. But for me, it's kind of, I'm just going into every race going, no matter what happens when I'm on the start line, if I go out, give it 110% and I finish, whether I run quick, slow, or anything in between, um, that's all I can do. Um, and whether it's a great result, I'm still going to look at it and go, what did I do well? What did I not do well? How can I improve? And whether it's a bad one, I'm going to do the exact same. So it's kind of you just got to go in with that. For me, the mentality that you're going to go out there, give it everything you have on the day, whether it's good enough to win, 10th, whatever, it takes care of itself. But you can just go in and give it everything you have on the day and you kind of walk off knowing that, that you left it all out there Um, and hopefully there's going to be a few more races where you can kind of resurrect it if it doesn't go well from that point.
2: Are you analysing your performance yourself or based on your result? And that's something that really I'm intrigued to hear your answer.
0: Yeah, I think no matter the performance, you're still trying to work out what happened. I think you'll probably... I don't really like watching my own races too much, um, but you're probably more likely to watch races you actually have bad days than the ones that you run really well or win just because you kind of want to work out what happened, how, how did that happen, what mistakes you made um, and to try and not, not let it happen again. So I think you have to, no matter the, the level of performance you bring, you still have to be critical to try and work out how you can improve because unless you're the, the best in the world, there's definitely a lot lot of room for improvement. So I've, I've as I said, until you're, until you're breaking world records, you the best. You're still a long way off um, what, what, what I'm aiming to do. So, I've got to kind of keep looking for those those inches um, and those yeah bits of improvement that I can take along the way.
1: You are breaking a lot of national records. So, I mean, you're not far off <laughs> that, that world record stage, I guess. Uh, oh, I still want to stick to this um, kind of mental preparation for races because it is a massive area for, and we just find a lot of professional athletes tend to have a generally a better hold on it because you race so much. Whereas a lot of um, amateur athletes, age group athletes, like we said, recreational athletes tend to get really nervous about and build themselves up a lot because they're trying to run a PB, they put pressure on themselves. So for you, at what point do you start thinking about the race during race week? Are you thinking a week out? Are you just not touching it till the night before? How do do you go about that mental process?
0: Yeah, for me, I probably try and avoid thinking about it too much. I'll kind of have a plan that I will know at least the day before I'll know what I'm gonna do in the race generally I'll have a decent idea um, and then yeah I probably won't think about it till I actually warm up um, other than just making sure I'm doing the the little things like making sure I get a good night's sleep I'm eating the right things but I won't over analyze the race um obviously you, you you as I said you have a plan but you kind of don't want to overthink it because you get in the race anything can happen there's there's different factors you can't you can't be set on what you're gonna do you kind of got to be adaptable as well so um, I yeah I won't overthink it until I'm on that start line and then once I'm out there kind of you feel like you're in control and you can kind of take um take control of what's going on out there and you're kind of probably not quite as nervous once you're actually in the action um, and kind of can do do your best once you're once you're in the race situation do
2: you f- feel that if you can control the race, you're going to have a better outcome than if you're being dictated to by the other competitors. I mean, let's take, for example, any of those Diamond League races where the pace starts out too slow for you and the, the pace setter, which is unusual that it would be too slow. But, uh, but if you find the race is too slow, would you go and dictate the race and, and take control? or Take us through that. How do you feel you race best?
0: Yeah, I think for me it's kind of, as you mentioned, taking control of your own kind of in, in the race, some sort of your destiny. I think for me I prefer running um, what suits me, running how how I think I'm going to do run the best I can on the day. Um, and, yeah, so I'll try. Yeah, hopefully I can try. And I, I actually like leading because it kind of takes out the kind of – factors of what the other competitors are doing what what else is going on and i can kind of just focus on running my best race if it's good enough to win the race to beat everyone else so be it if it's not good enough and i get beat at least i've kind of go out there and know that i've i've ran the race that i thought suited me and kind of gave it 110 percent on the day so um yeah i kind of prefer having that that sense of control where you're focusing on your race um and then whether whether people beat you or you beat them you run a pb you don't run a pb at least you've kind of left in your hands and kind of can ride that result based on knowing that you kind of took took control of um your own result race execution is yeah
1: just such a big thing that we uh try and drum into our athletes at trivelo because it it can dictate whether that you actually get the rewards from your training or if you stuff up the execution so badly you just you're not doing yourself any justice. when you were getting these you know, continued, uh, repeated good results at the world stage at Diamond League, there was a lot of buzz around Australian athletics about the stuff you were doing. And I know you said you don't watch your race back, but if you did, you would know that the uh, the main Diamond League commentator, the British guy, I can't actually remember his name, but He loves it when you race because uh, you're always out the front. You're always taking the race on, setting a hot pace. And he just gets so excited. He's like, oh, we can always trust you and explain to make sure that the pace is on. And that's the the way you like to race. And I want to take that back to the very start. So, you don't have the quickest starts. um, And is that something that you do, um, one, a little bit deliberately to you like to see how the race plans out or you're just not quick enough off the line and you're okay with that? I mean, talk us through. But then you do like to get to the front uh, at some point of the first 200, 300 meters. So, talk us through that.
0: Yeah, I think for me, um, it probably looks like it's more deliberate because Jakob kind of rolls off the start line as well. Um, So often me and him are kind of towards the back and we kind of roll around a little bit. But, um, yeah, being a taller kind of gangly guy, I'm probably not quite as explosive as a lot of guys, especially in the 1500. I came down from the 10K, 5K. So we didn't have to get off the line quite as quick. Um, And then in the 1500, you're racing guys that are are amazing over the 800 as well. So I probably don't have the explosion to get off the line as quick as some of of the guys. Um, But I kind of don't mind it too much as well because it kind of enables me to find the spot that I want to get in the race. Even though I do have to probably work a little bit hard in the first 200, I kind of can work out where I want to be in the race. I kind of get a decent look to see to see how the race is panning out um, before I kind of work out where I want to sit. So um, I'd love to get out quick if I could, but unfortunately I don't have the explosion of some of the, some of the other guys in the 1500.
1: Do you think it could work in your favor a little bit though, because the first hundred guys are are gassing it out and it's really a hundred meter sprint. And yes, you're working probably a little bit harder from 100 to 200 around the bend, but you're also not probably um, using as much um, or getting as far into the red zone in that first hundred as the other guys. So do you think that benefits you at all or do you think it all works out pretty similar?
0: Uh, I think maybe it does. Um, I'm probably not quite going. I am still trying pretty hard that first time. (laughs) It's not going as quick as those guys. But, um, Yeah. yeah, I think the big thing for me is it kind of probably helps me stay out of trouble a little bit more. Um, as we see in middle distance racing, there's a lot of people get clipped, fall over in that first 200 meters. It can be kind of the dangerous part. Um, especially when you're in good level fields, cause there's 15 guys fighting for good spots. So, um, it can be dangerous. So it probably helps me in some sense, stay out of trouble a little bit, that first lap. Um, so that's probably the, the positive side of not being cro- quite as explosive as the other guys.
2: We uh we heard to say about you coming down from 10,000 to 5,000 to to 1,500 compared to some runners who come from 800 up to 1,500. How much uh, value do you think racing those 10Ks, the Zatapex, the 5Ks, has, has enabled you to be a strong 1,500-meter runner? I think
0: a lot. Um, obviously, I'm not as quick over the 800 as a lot of guys, so I've got to be – for the 1,500, I've got to be strong over the 3K, 5K because that's my advantage on them. Hopefully, I can kind of hurt them before that last 100-meter sprint if I can because um, obviously there's guys that have a quicker quicker last 100 than me if we're, we're head-to-head coming down the straight. So, um, yeah, I think of also for me, when you're only running for a bit under four laps, it's kind of nicer than when I used to do the 10K on the track and you'd see 24, 23, 22 laps on the counter, um, kind of feeling like you get to halfway and you see one or two laps left in a 1500. Mentally, is a lot nicer than, um, yeah, than having the, the, the long the long run home as you do on the 5K and 10K. So I think that's kind of made made the transition down in the 1500 a little nicer as well.
2: That comes to the, the point of where I've watched so many 1500-meter races where Britson from 500, 400 or 300, he will not let anybody pass him once he goes to the front. And, and that just winding it up um, tactic that he uses. And he lost the world titles with someone passing him with 150 to go, which – I think, threw him out um, almost. Um, and is that something that you could train yourself? Is that something you're thinking about? Because that's his tactic is to not let anybody pass him from the point he gets to the front of the field to the finish. Is that something you've, you've seen him do or thought about or something you can do about your training to match that? Have you, has that been in your mind about how he races?
0: Uh, I think so. Obviously, he's the best guy in our event, so you're kind of using him as kind of the the what the level you need to get to. So um, what he's able to do from the front, I think he makes it look so easy, but when he gets to the front, he's grinding the pace. He's dropping a second every 100, um, and it's not physically not an easy thing to do, especially when you're at that point of the race. You've got lactic build up as well. So um, obviously I'm looking to try and emulate what he can do, but I've got to run to my strengths as well. So um, I'll As I said, any race I'm going in, I'm trying to win. I'm trying to beat him if I can, Um, but he's obviously got a tactic and he's a brilliant athlete that's working pretty well, so – um, I'll be trying to, yeah, hopefully this season I can kind of throw a few curveballs with him but um, we'll see We'll see how it goes.
1: I do want to just ask a couple more questions on kind of this mindset and self-talk um, in race and, and pre-race. Uh, just uh, taking it back to the night before, um, are you fine just naturally? You're able to get to sleep pretty well? You don't overthink the race or is there any tactic you use um, to not think about the race? Um, I guess that's the distinction. Is it something that comes naturally or is there anything specific that you do to, to get yourself to have a good night's sleep?
0: Uh, luckily, I feel like I'm not bad at getting to sleep on on race nights. Um, I try and, yeah, as I mentioned, I don't try and overthink it. I'm not really too worried. I'll kind of, yeah, do all the preparation the day before I need, whether that's the hydration, the nutrition, um, whatever, to make sure that when the next day comes, I'm going to be ready to race. But other than that, I won't overthink it. I won't worry too much. I'll kind of wait to the next day um, and still not think about it too much until I'm really warming up and I'll kind of that 50 minutes before when I'm warming up, I'll kind of lock in, have the plan ready that when that gun goes, I know what I'm doing, I'm ready to go. I know that I've done the preparation, the days, the months, the weeks leading up um, that hopefully I can kind of take care of what I'm trying to do in the race. Um, so there's for me, there's no not really anything I can gain from overthinking it the day or the morning of. I'll kind of, yeah, wait to that that warm-up period and make sure I'm ready to go I'm mentally there as well, um, know what I'm doing and kind of ready to switch on um, when the, when the gun goes, though. That the gun does go
1: And then yeah on the start line what what specifically are you saying to yourself are you? Yeah, you run it through the first 100, 200. What's, what What's what are the actual specifics?
0: Yeah, I think yeah, you you need to have some kind of plan um, of how it's going to be. But as I mentioned, you've got to be able to adapt. Um, no race is the same, especially middle distance. There's so much happening. Whether you can get a position, you can't get a position, you're kind of thinking on the spot. Um, whether the pace is quick, slow, you're still adapting to, to how the race is playing out. But for me, as I mentioned, I'm standing on the start line going... <laughs> I've done the prep, whether it was the perfect prep, whether it wasn't, I'm at this point, all I can do is go, I'm going to run 110% in this race. um, And whatever the result is, I can kind of live with that, whether it's bad, good, whatever in between, I can kind of, yeah, live with that and move forward from that. So I'll just go, this next three and a half minutes, I'm just going to, yeah, give it everything I have. um, And hopefully the result takes care of itself. You are seen as such a gutsy
1: runner um, and that is proven time and time again when you're, you're willing to go to the front of the race and as you said before, lead the race and take on the race and, and push that um, fast pace. And that even showed last year when you fronted up to a few races knowing you weren't in the best shape uh, post-COVID um, and you still fronted up anyway and gave it everything and even the results were way off. Um, it, was, it was It showed real gutsy running. Take us through that period last year when when COVID had affected you for a lot longer than you thought and you had to take basically a fair bit of the season off. Um, How did you get through that? How did you manage that uh, mentally?
0: Yeah, obviously, I was was struggling with health um, for a fair few months at the start of the year. Um, Yeah, as I mentioned, it was probably one of those tough periods that you kind of had to work through. Um, Yeah, it was definitely tough, not only the physical side, the mental side, I think, not knowing how long it was going to last for, um, not having the exact, I think athletes you kind of like having exact answers um, of knowing when you're going to be back to your best, what effect it's going to have, whether you're ever actually going to get back to your best. You kind of want a timeline. Um, obviously, I didn't have that um, with what I was going through um, in the probably the first four months of the the season last year. Um, but yeah, as I said, I just kind of had to stay resilient, keep keep doing what I normally do, following the process I normally do, um, and even in the races. Obviously, I was trying to do what I normally could. Physically, I couldn't do it, but I was still showing up trying to do what I normally could um, with the hope that um, at some point during the season, hopefully I'd be able to turn it around and hopefully get some just reward for those couple of tough months um, where I was still pushing through and training. Um, Probably not quite the level that I would hope I would be able to train at that time of the year, but we're still, yeah, showing up and hoping I could, yeah, kind of turn the season around from that point.
2: A lot of athletes uh, just want to get back to where they were in two days after they've had two or three weeks off and they just expect to resume, did, did you have that same thought process or did you say, no, I've been sick, I need to progress and let my body catch up um, to the intensity that's able to, to uh, cope with? Is that how you went about it or were you like most guys who just want to get back to the normal training routine and, and, and almost act like nothing was wrong with them? How did you go about your return to training?
0: Yeah, I think initially I was kind of just up in the air with what was going on that I kind of probably did push through a little hard. Um, Obviously, I was trying to get back for the first race of the Diamond League season in Doha. I think it was the start of May. So um, I did have a timeline that I was trying to get back for. So maybe I was pushing a little bit through through too hard. But then from that point on, it was kind of, yeah, I I kind of worked out that whether I was going to miss the whole season, um, whether I was going to miss a couple of months, I was going to kind of adapt training to try and keep training. So I did have that base level of fitness, but kind of make sure I wasn't pushing too hard until I felt like my body was kind of responding and I kind of felt like I was somewhat near my best again before I kind of started focusing on the intensity and kind of, yeah, pushing towards trying to, um, yeah, get back to, to full fitness.
1: I I think we really want to finish this conversation and and go into kind of your next 18 months and go, um, what is, what is your plan, um, around the long-term goal being, um, Paris Olympics, um, but there's a lot of stuff in between that. So, how do you approach this with your coach? Do you take it one race at a time? How do you actually plan out your training structure, your racing goals, um, knowing that the, the biggest one is is Paris next year?
0: Yeah, I think every year we kind of are lucky that we have a major championship. So, if we don't have Olympics, we'll have world champs. Um, we have actually lucky this year we've got a world champs in the cross country, um, early season as a goal, but then we've got the world champs in Hungary um, in yeah, I think at the end of August this year. So um, there's always a, a big goal each year that you're going to put a lot of focus in. Ultimately, as you said, the Olympics for us is the the big the big picture goal. The pinnacle. Um, yeah. But each season, we're lucky. Yeah, we've got the the championship, and we've also got the Diamond League circuit, which for us is kind of like the top level of our sport. Um, so yeah, I think. You're focusing on each season as it comes, trying to improve, whether that's running, uh, running quick times, trying to run personal best or whatever, but also trying to race well in those races and kind of trying to improve every time you step on the track each season and then take that momentum into, as you mentioned, the, the Olympics next year is the, the ultimate goal. Um, but hopefully I can put some good, good results together this year and kind of ride that momentum going into 2024. Can you give us an insight into
1: how your training blocks actually look? So, um, what do you do between, yeah, Feb and August? How are your training blocks just pretty similar? Are you training kind of the same way? Or um, is there big volume periods, obviously, altitude periods? I mean, you guys head to Europe early. Um, yeah, how do the training blocks actually look and, and get broken up?
0: Yeah, I think they're definitely um, in different phases for us. Like the training's probably similar. But probably the approach and intensity you take changes a lot. For me, I'm probably, yeah, in build-up phase anywhere up from when I start training again after the European season, maybe October you're probably not in great shape um, and you'll slowly, week by week, slowly get a little bit better shape um, until probably February and then you'll kind of step up training a little bit um, until maybe a month before we leave to go overseas. That's when you're really knuckling down and you kind of, yeah, putting a lot more focus on training for me. I feel like I kind of maybe pre-Christmas I'm trained at 70%. Um, then from Christmas to a month before the European season, I feel like i maybe I'm going 80, 85% of what I feel like I can in training. Um, and then once I get towards that European season, it's kind of they're the months you're trying to peak for. They're the, the times you want to be running well. So that's the, when you're knuckling down, you, you're doing the harder, probably pushing a little bit harder in training. you kind of focusing um, a little bit more um, and then obviously the weeks leading up to a championship is when you're kind of all locked in on the the performance um, and making sure you're doing everything you can because I think in a year if you're, if you're fo- 100% focused on just running, um, it's it's a tough sport mentally to, mm. to be able to maintain for a long period. So, you do have to have those phases where you kind of feel like you're building up um, and then that... Ultimately, leading up to champs is where you want to be at your peak level of performance and kind of feel like you're throwing everything at um, those weeks training and making sure you're ready to go when the champs does come around.
2: There's a lot of uh, opportunities with the Diamond League. There's so many Diamond League events leading into the world champs. How are you selecting which races you're going to do and, and what are you doing in between each race? How's the training look? Yeah,
0: I think it depends on the travel, but you're obviously still training hard because le- like, you'll taper for the races because they're obviously important races. Um, they're good preparation. They're, they're, you, you get to race against the guys that are going to be in the finals in the World Champs or the Olympics, so you're kind of building the skill set to be able to compete at that level um, and kind of yeah understand where you sit compared to other guys, um, and it will kind of give you an indication of how your training is going um, prior to those races and then probably – how you need to adapt it or improve it post those races as well, um, leading up to championships. So um, I think you'll select them based on what, what works well with your training program because you don't want to over race, but then you also want to race quite a bit as well for me just to make sure I'm feeling like I, I'm at a level where I can compete against those guys, um, that when the chance does come around, I feel like I, I know what I need to do and know how I'm lining up against a lot of the guys and have that confidence that I can hopefully um, perform pretty well how flexible
1: are you around the races? Are you making any last-minute calls? Are you deciding a couple of weeks out or are you deciding a month or two out of which races you're going to do?
0: I think before the start of the season, you'll have a general plan um, of which ones you're doing. You're probably committed to quite a few on the circuit um, and they they know you're racing there. But I think, yeah, it's that adaptability where you don't know if you're going to be sick, you don't know if you're going to be injured you might have a couple of races and you feel like you need to go back to training. So you might skip a diamond league, train for a couple of weeks, maybe go to altitude and train um, and then kind of come back topped up your fitness level, maybe a little bit fresher from not jumping around and um, traveling so much for races um, and then kind of yet yeah, work out whether you're going to have another race soon or you're going to keep training for another week or two, depending on, on the, how the season runs. I think a lot of it comes down to how, how you're feeling, how you, how you feel your fitness is. And then, also, how the races are going. Um, if they're going well, it's probably easier to keep jumping around. But if you have a couple of off ones you're probably trying to trying to work out whether you need to, yet yeah, boost that fitness level, go back to training for a bit, or um, yeah, kind of kind of adapt what you need to do um, to keep going throughout the throughout the season.
2: Are there any in particular races that you really say this is a race I don't want to miss? Uh, like um, some races you've done really well at in the Diamond League. Um, I think was it Brussels where you ran sub 13 for the 5k
0: yeah i think you have favorite races um yep. i obviously love yeah i love the brussels diamond league um it's amazing atmosphere there. they get amazing crowds so if you're in decent shape um and you can get a start there you probably not turning it down unless you have a, a real big reason um but yeah there's definitely ones you want to be in as well oslo i love um i love stockholm diamond league um the ones in GB, London um, is a great diamond leg as well. So they probably the ones you, if you can get in and it fits in your schedule, you're definitely giving it a tick um, to have a race. But yeah, as I said, ultimately it depends on a lot of other factors, how you're traveling um, and also depends how you are running Because if you're not running well, you might not get a start in it as well. So that also becomes a factor where, where you end up racing as well.
1: So, the, one of the biggest factors you said that you manipulate is intensity and in this build-up period, obviously lower. And then, like you said, you're, you're peaking for um, closer to actual racing season. What about volume um, and frequency of training? Are you you're always going to be running the same amount of times per week? And then how much is your volume changing throughout the year? I know you average around 150Ks a week. So, how do you adjust that?
0: I think, yeah, for me, it's kind of keeping it similar. Um, I'll generally, yeah, throughout the year... It, it won't change a lot. Obviously, when I'm building back up um, for the season, I'll start a lot lower and slowly increase it week by week. Um, How much feel, lower?
1: Like...
0: Uh, maybe I first week I might be running. In, um, normally I might run 11 times in a week. First week I might be running three or four times and then slowly yeah build up from there start adding intensity back um and then just kind of playing it by feel um because obviously you got to get your muscles tendons and stuff used to to running hard again so you kind of got to yeah slowly build that up um but after i'm past that build up phase most weeks will be similar um generally the same volume um generally the same intensity and then kind of the off weeks will kind of fit in with racing if i've got an important race i'll definitely Lower the volume, lower the intensity, especially the last three or four days before the race to make sure you're feeling really good for the race day. Um, but depends. If you're racing a lot, you can't always have big taper weeks. Um, otherwise, you're going to lose that baseline fitness. So you'll have races as well where you kind of, especially domestically, you might go into it not even tapering much. Maybe the day before, you might have it a little easier. Why the the big diamond leg races and the championships, you, you're having that full full big taper to make sure you're, you're 100% fresh and ready to go.
2: Have you, have you experienced uh, both you've raced well with no taper, you've raced well with a big taper, and have you found out which which is really your go-to? I, I've, you've, you've had so many chances at practicing uh, different variations of tapering. Have you f- nutted out what exactly works well for you? Yeah, I think it's an
0: individual thing. For me, I'd probably um,
2: respond better if
0: I – I have kind of medium taper. Um, I actually don't like tapering a massive amount. Um, Obviously, if you're running a lot of volume, it's a big step down if you start tapering a lot um, and your body kind of probably doesn't quite respond as well. So for me, it's maybe the, the last couple of days leading in where I'll kind of Reduce the the load, the amount I'm running. Um, I won't do anything high intensity on those couple of days to make sure that when the race comes around, my body's ready for that high intensity effort. That's that's going to be a race, um, which is the hardest thing we do. It's harder than anything you do in training. So you got to make sure yeah you you mentally and yeah your body's physically ready as well from the taper.
1: Can you give us an example of a, a really specific session? Yeah, two or three day, days out. You know what what is the exact kind of rep range and distance and and times you're hitting um, a couple of days out from a race.
0: Yeah, so maybe the, the last solid workout I'll generally have is maybe three or four days before um, where we'll do – you'll probably do a session where you're pushing – the hardest you'll go for me is maybe 80%, 85% of race pace. So it's kind of you, – you're ticking the boxes. Um, you're kind of getting the heart rate up without absolutely bearing yourself. So it's just kind of a little practice for what the intensity you're going to have when you do step on the start line. Um, and then generally the other days will be easy. I'll probably do something maybe two days before that picks the heart rate up a little bit. Maybe that's a threshold where I do like 10 or 15 minutes of threshold two days before just to to keep the heart rate up. Because for me, I find if I have too many easy days, then I get on the start line. I try and do something high heart rate or high intensity. I feel like I kind of feel a little bit sluggish. So for me, it's just not, not doing as much load or intensity, but just touching on a little bit in that tape of week to make sure that you feel like it's you're at a level in your practice for when you do have to go 110% in the race, you kind of feel like, um, it's not, not foreign from the last few days and not doing much. You kind of, yeah. Re- kind of ready to ready to go.
1: Last couple of questions, Stu. Um, I just wanted to know, is there any kind of investment you've made um, that you think has been really worth it to you that athletes could potentially benefit from? And know recovery-wise, people might have a go-to foam roller or, or recovery boots or something or even just small gadgets. Is there anything that you have as a go-to or you keep it pretty simple?
0: Not too many gadgets. I think for me, it's just on the basics. Obviously, for me, sleep's huge. If I'm sleeping well, um, I don't really see it in how I'm training, how I'm recovering, but also performance-wise as well. So making sure I'm getting the right amount of sleep um, to to kind of be able to put the the days of training together. And the other thing for me is obviously I, I use a nutritionist as well. So just making sure, not really making sure I'm eating the right things all the time because it's not possible to eat it. The right things all the time it's kind of you got to have that moderate approach but just making sure you, you're fueling enough i think especially if you have hard training it's easy to feel tired and maybe not not go fuel yourself right or whatever but having those kind of that that set up where you know what you need to do what foods you should be eating post sessions um post races especially when you're jumping from race to race you kind of got to be on top of making sure you're taking on the proteins eating the right carbohydrates to making sure you're giving yourself the best chance to, to back up the next day for training, but also making sure you're getting the benefits from the training as well. So I think that that nutrition side for me, I think is what I've improved a lot the last couple of years. And I think that's definitely a big, big thing that kind of helps with the improving their performance level.
1: I don't want to stitch you up here, Stu, but I have heard (laughs) down the grapevine that uh, you're not the biggest, you're not so fond of cooking yourself. Is, is that true? And how do you navigate that as a traveling athlete?
0: Oh, it's true. It's definitely true. Uh, I'm not sure where where that source has come from. But, um, yeah, I kind of – I don't mind ordering. Um, I kind of do the thing. I prefer to pay a professional to do it um, than me do it myself. But I still try and focus on making sure if I am ordering food or whatever that it's kind of – I'm ticking off the carbohydrates, whether that's pasta um, or whatever. I'm making sure I'm getting the proteins in um, as well. So I'm not a great cook, but I still feel like I cover cover what I need to take on my – take on in the training week and take on um, yeah as I mentioned carbohydrate proteins or whatever I'm taking on relatively well throughout the week. It's a good professional answer I think uh, your nutritionist would be happy with
1: that. No so. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, nah, mate thanks for thanks for jumping on the interview um, we've been super keen to talk to you for a long time um, we've been loving watching all your Diamond League races and we just love having Aussie mix it in with the best in the world and um, you run, you run so gutsy, and you get so many good results because of it, I and mean, that's just exactly what we love to see. So, anything else from
2: you, Dad, before we finish? No, just much appreciated your time, and uh, and really looking forward to uh, seeing how your your journey progresses. And uh, we wish you all the best with uh, with your aspirations. And I know that you're uh, you're de- definitely out there doing your best to to get the best out of yourself, and and good luck with uh, with this week, this coming. Um, teams cross country which will be uh, which will be fantastic as a world championship event so we're really keen to see how you go so thank you so much mate and we know your time's valuable and uh, we all the listeners have really will really enjoy this podcast
0: appreciate it no thanks uh, thanks for having me on I've thoroughly enjoyed my time appreciate it Stu thanks everyone for listening to this episode and we'll see you on the next one